This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we're going to talk about two shootings that actually happened here in Austin, Texas. And we have uh, uh, some very, very compelling guests on the show today. They're going to tell us about some things that have happened here in Austin. We're going to talk about a mass shooting. Uh, We're going to have the attorneys uh, for one of the cases on the show as well. And I want to kind of get right into it. So we have uh, Sergeant Daniel Perry, the man accused of shooting Garrett Foster during the last summer's riots. Uh, His attorney, Clint Broden, will be on the show a little later on to talk about the Travis County DA's prosecutorial misconduct. Also, we have on Skype Douglas Cancer's family. Uh, They're going to talk to us about their thoughts on how the Travis County DA is handling this mass shooting and handling uh, who's being prosecuted and also getting justice. Uh, for the family and, and their loss. So we're going to talk about that. And also Devin Perkis uh, is going to join us on the show later on later on in the hour to talk about this uh, Solutionary Summit. Solutionary Summit. We're going to talk about that. But first, let's go to the family of Douglas Cantor. You're on with Come and Talk It. How are you guys doing today? Very well. Thank you. All right. All right. As best as you possibly can, I'm sure. Yes, sir. All right, so... <laughs> I want to give people the backdrop of what we're talking about here. So back on June 12th of 2021, there was a mass shooting in Austin, Texas. And one of the nasty shootings that we had in our, our party district. And you had some teenagers decided to bring a gun from Colleen, Texas to Austin, Texas to party with a gun as teenagers. And then they basically ran into each other instead of shooting each other. They had shot all innocent people. And so I'd like to bring the family into the conversation to talk about uh, their thoughts on what happened that night uh, and also how the Travis County DA is actually handling the case. And so we have – I'm going to bring up first Nicholas Cantor. Uh, Nicholas is the brother of of, of uh, Doug Cantor. So, Nicholas, yep. welcome to come and talk to sir. Thank you for having me. Um, first, I just want <clears throat> to mention that it was actually several guns. Um, I know when the kids were arrested, they were arrested with, I believe, 13 illegal firearms. Um, wow. But they went down in two separate vehicles. Um, 
I'm sorry, three separate vehicles and each individual involved had a gun. So there was, you know, probably somewhere close to 10 guns involved. However, um, to our um, knowledge now, it seems like there was only one shooter um, based on the evidence that they found. Um, that being said, everyone was involved. This was something that was ongoing um, from a previous uh, altercation they had where one of the people was shot two weeks prior. So this was kind of a revenge deal. Um, they were on Facebook talking about going down to Sixth Street. Um, the two gangs, you know, kind of, I guess, hashed it out on Facebook and said, we're going to meet on Sixth Street and we're going to handle our business. And that's exactly what they did. Once one group stood on one curb line, the other group was in the middle of the street and 14 people were in between them and they just opened fire. Um, and unfortunately, even though there was two groups of people involved, it seems like the district attorney only wants to prosecute one person. Um, my problem with that is that they don't have the gun. Um, they really don't have anything but hearsay from, you know, co-conspirators. They were all a part of it and they're all pointing the finger at one guy. But um, so far, it doesn't look like anybody's being forced to testify. All the charges on everybody else involved have been dropped, which lets go of any leverage that the district attorney could have to force them to, to testify. So it's it's not very confidence in inspiring because um, they have really nothing. They're, they're going to prosecute this guy on hearsay. They're not going to find the gun. I don't care how hard they're looking. Um, if this kid is half as intelligent as you think he is, he, he hid the gun somewhere. He put it somewhere. He got rid of it. He broke it. He put it into a fire. I mean, there's a million ways to dispose of a gun. So, um, you know, as you know, that they're not finding that gun. So they're, they're my fear is that it's in the best political interest of this DA and prosecutor to let this case kind of fade into the darkness and, and kind of go away. And that's exactly the road I think we're on unless something changes and they really get a lot of pressure put on them to convict somebody because right now, you know, it's fresh and new and they're acting like they're doing everything they can. But, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of a dog and pony show right now, to be honest. All right. So once again, you say that how many firearms were actually recovered? Or you actually, well, people actually produced, um, not recovered, but people produced. Well, to the, the best of my knowledge, the last I heard, it was 13 illegal firearms. So none of those firearms had a background check done to, to get them. None of those firearms were ever, um, you know, registered. They're not, they, I, I don't, I don't know for sure if they even had numbers on them. Um, that information wasn't given to us, but they definitely weren't bought uh, from a store. I can and, tell you that much. And they were all minors. They were all minors. So my, we're I talking believe. we're talking minors in possession of firearms. Correct. All right. And so that means that they had to have gotten those guns from somewhere. And so uh, you, you, as a minor, you, it's illegal to anyone that's younger than 17 years of age to actually have a, uh, a firearm, you know, without the accompanying of an adult. So they were actually committing a crime there, uh, committing a crime by having the gun in the vehicle, committing a crime by walking down the street with a gun. And I'm pretty sure they were going in and out of the bars, you know, probably using a fake ID to do that as well. Well, when I, and I this, was on the... And this is Larry. Larry, a, Larry Leitner, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Larry Leitner, yeah. Uh, we were on a about a 58-minute call with the DA, and we really drilled them pretty hard with questions. 
And the only thing we got was no answers. When when I inquired, okay, did the 15-year-old apply for, a, you know, make an application to buy a gun? And did he do a background check? Because Mayor Adler is on a Skype call televised with 30 other mayors immediately after my nephew dies saying, oh, my God, we need better background checks. I was like, okay, so did they do background checks on the 15-year-old? No. The 17-year-old? No. The 19-year-old? No. And that's directly from the DA. So what was the point? When I asked what's the point of the mayor being on television demanding better background checks from the Biden administration, there's obviously yet another I don't know answer. And it went on for 58 minutes where they kept calling them two groups. I said, well, groups, are you talking about the knitting group and the crocheting group or are they gangs? Because you know, generally groups don't have disagreements where they shoot at each other. Gangs do. Give me the name of the gangs. They won't produce that. All right. We're talking with the, um, with Douglas Cantor's family. We're talking about the mass shooting that happened in Austin, Texas. Uh, we're talking about minors in possession of firearms. We're talking about gang members having firearms. Both of those are actually illegal. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Peace, this is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, later in the show, we're going to have Sergeant, well, Sergeant Daniel Perry's attorney on this show to talk to us about that shooting that happened in Austin last year and how the Travis County DA's uh, committing prosecutorial misconduct. And we also going to talk with Devin Perkins. He's going to join us in the show a little later on the hour to talk to us about the so- Solutionary Summit. We're going to talk about what is that and what's all what's going on with that. But right now we're talking with Douglas Cantor's family about the Austin mass shooting because Douglas Cantor was a victim. And Douglas was here in Austin. And let me ask the family, you know, why was Douglas actually in Austin that day? So my brother had just um, graduated with his master's, his MBA, um, and he was celebrating with some of his childhood friends that he was pushing to also 
uh, pursue their master's degree. Uh, my brother was <clears throat> not only successful, but he wanted everybody else that was around him to be successful because he wanted us all to enjoy success together. And, you know, he, he went there on vacation. He was told that Austin was a beautiful city. He was actually really excited to go. And, um, you know, it, it was supposed to be a wonderful vacation for him to celebrate his, you know, his graduation. And this is what happened on the first night. Um, the other thing I, I would like to say, just kind of adding off of what I was saying before is so like defunding the police, right? Um, that's governor Adler's, or I'm sorry, mayor Adler's answer to making everybody safer. All right. That's why we're defunding the police. He wants to make everyone safer. Well, if he feels that, you know, Austin, Texas is safer without police presence, then why does he have his own private security? I mean, that's, I think, a very important question for him to answer. And I'd, I'd love to, at any time, you know, hear from him, see him on a conference. I have a lot more questions to follow that up with. But I just want to know why he thinks he needs his own security if everyone else is safer without security. And might I add, too, that recently he changed from, a, from using police detail um, on taxpayers' expense to protect himself and his family. Now he's using a private security group who's probably charging him three times as much, still your taxpayer money, um, but nevertheless, they're protecting himself and his family. And quite honestly, I'd like to challenge him. I would like him to walk down 6th Street where my brother was shot between the hours of, I don't know, midnight and three o'clock in the morning. And I wanna see how safe he feels without a security detail. Because I know I was there at four o'clock in the afternoon, and I certainly didn't feel very safe. And and it's customary for like the mayor, whenever something like this happens, to reach out to the family, uh, to you know, kind of talk to you, and 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 you know, see you know what they can do, you know, to help you do this hard time. You know, has Mayor Adler actually reached out to your family? Yeah, he did. Um, he called. This is Larry Leitner. He did call, and we were we were very grateful that he called. Until I turned on the television about two days later and saw him on a Zoom call screaming about background checks. Mm. And it just completely turned me off. Because like Nick and I are both gun owners. We go through our background checks. In Jersey, you have to do applications. Sometimes it takes for, it's about three days for a long rifle. It's upwards of a month for a pistol to get your permits. And it's every time you want to buy a pistol up here, you have to reapply. So it's about a month every time. And we have no issue with that. But he, what was a background check? I mean, well, it was impossible to do a background check on any of these kids. So he might as well have gotten on TV and started screaming about watermelons because right. it has exactly the same effect. Right, because as a, a, a teenager, you can't pass a background check to get a gun. Uh, you can't go through the federal firearms license, uh, you know, the federal right. firearms license program to actually you know, get a background check. So you're right. You know, he has to get it some other way. Steal the gun, right. private sale, or a gift. It's one million percent political for him to open his mouth and say that. He doesn't open his mouth and say, oh, gee, maybe we have a problem with underage gang members selling drugs on 6th Street at 2 o'clock in the morning with guns in their belts. Mm. Well, it's like That's Rahm Emanuel said. He said, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. Mm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Exactly, but it's. I mean, the I you ha I gotta imagine the people of Austin can't like listen to this guy and take him seriously when he's talking about background checks for kids that couldn't possibly apply for a background check. It's it's bizarre. And it's, it's it's just sad to see somebody with the title of mayor sit up there and actually let that fall out of his mouth. Now, uh, how do you think uh, the Austin Police Department is handling the investigation and all this stuff? They were amazing. They from they, just to just to back up a little bit. Sure. My, when, when my nephew was shot, he ran about 100 yards with his friends, you know, running right next to him. He didn't realize he was when he did realize he was shot, he started to collapse. He fell right into the arms of two police officers who caught him, dragged him around a corner to make sure he was out of the line of fire. They patched uh, the bullet went in his right side and came out his left side. The injuries were devastating. They patched him up and they did not even hesitate. They picked him up, put him in a patrol car and ran him off to Dell Hospital. If they waited for an ambulance, we would have been down there identifying a body. Instead, we were down there making medical decisions on how to save them. So the, the police force could never have done any better. We have complete, we're, we're so grateful, it's unbelievable. The detectives were amazing. They were all over it. They did their jobs. It's the DA that we're very concerned about. We, 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 I mean, I asked them point blank, or would you be able to withstand protests in the streets about releasing this kid if it came to that? He says yes, and all of us think not. He, he doesn't look like he's up. I mean, he's already retroactively. He's been there since November. He's retroactively going after police officers that have already been, you know, that had complaints against him, against him but they're already been considered no bill, that the complaint was invalid. And now he's retroactively going back after him a second time. Now, when you had your conversation with the, the Travis County DA, uh, Jose Garza, did he mention anything about why he dropped the charges against the 17-year-old and the 15-year-old? All he would say, just like he said, you, you can see the tension in, his, um, in that press release they did on TV. Between him and Chacon. Yeah, or, or you could, exactly. The, the tension was palatable between the two of them. All he would say is, it's better for the case. And like Nick was saying, well, wait a minute. You charge people with 13 crimes, you drop nine of them to help. That helps your case. But you're still charging them with at least three or four. You don't just wipe them all clean. These kids drove 70 miles with a load of weapons in their belts. Mm. So we, we were, he could, could not give us a valid answer why he did that. Yeah. He was very uh, elusive with his words as well. It wasn't a direct, you know, this is, I ask a question why, and he gives me a straight answer. It was a very complex answer that ended with something not even of the subject. Um, he was very crafty in, in eluding the real answers because he didn't want to give us the real answers. I mean, when, uh, when they told us <clears throat> that we were going to, that, you know, he was going to release the two, they called my uncle instead of calling me to hope my uncle would butter us up for the bad news instead of, you know, being a, a you know, a stand up guy and calling me and my mother and telling us the bad news, which either way, I mean, we weren't going to take that sitting down. We got right on the phone and, you know, we wanted answers because it makes no sense. I mean, you know, I listen, everybody watches TV, crime shows, you know, whatever. 
when there's multiple parties involved in a crime, you always charge everybody the same. And then you get the story from each person. And then that's when you start dropping charges and turning the co-conspirators against each other. You don't just let everyone go and keep one guy. I mean, for all we know, how do we know that, you know, it wasn't one of the five people that pointed the finger at this guy, DeAndre White? Maybe DeAndre White didn't do anything. He was just the odd man out in the group and everybody pointed the finger at him. I mean, how do you take these guys' words on it? These are 13, 15-year-old kids that are, you know, shooting at each other, and you're going to trust their word for its face value? Are you kidding me? And so if you have a message uh, for the Travis County DA, what would that, you know, because the DA is listening to you. I'm telling you right now. So what would you say to the Travis County DA, Jose Garza? Myself, I would say you better do your job. I mean, this was such a horrific incident. 14 people shot in the middle. I mean, how far is that from the Capitol building? Two, three blocks? That's right. Not too far. Right. So, I mean, your, your town is turning into a war zone. You're going after, retroactively going after police officers who may get a complaint for pushing somebody too hard and trying to ruin their careers while murderers are on your street. You're not only letting them go, you're giving them a 70-mile ride home. That, that's, that proves to me that you have no intention of doing your job. Here's what I would like to say. I would like to say, what is the message you're trying to send? Because... When, when 15, 12, 10, five people go out in the street and they shoot at each other or they, they get involved in a shooting, even if they don't pull triggers and they're able to get arrested with illegal firearms and be released and put back on the street, what message do you think that sends to everybody who's similar to them, everybody in Austin, Texas, everybody in the state of Texas and everybody in this country? What message are you sending? You're, are you seriously telling people that it is okay to just do whatever you want, pull out guns, have a gunfight. And as long as you don't accidentally shoot the wrong guy, it's acceptable because that's that's the message I take from this is that it's acceptable to go out in public with an illegal firearm, pull it out, fire a few rounds. As long as you don't kill anybody, it's okay. You'll get a free ride home and, you know, that's it. You'll go on with your life. And guess what? You could do it again next weekend. I, I flat out asked Barza if it's okay for me to come to Texas pull a gun out of my belt, not fire it, just initiate mayhem, initiate a gunfight. Can I go home? His answer was no. I'm like, but you de- you sent these kids home. And all you can get is, well, we think it's better for the case. It's it's ridiculous double talk. And, you know, once again, I, if he doesn't do his job, I think all hell's going to break loose down there. All right, we're talking with the family of Doug Cantor. We're talking with Nicholas Cantor. He's the brother. We're also talking with Larry Leitner, the uncle of Douglas Cantor, who was murdered here in Austin, Texas, in the Austin mass shooting. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. (laughs) And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It.
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. That's where an agent who is a realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Douglas Cancer's family about the mass shooting that happened here in Austin, Texas back in June. And I want to ask Larry. Um, Larry, is your wife available, Miss Leitner? No, she's not actually. She's, not? she's working today. Okay, no, not a problem at all. And how about... Uh, Doug's fiance, Adriana, is she available? Where is it? No, she's not here. I'm sorry. She's no, not. His mother's here, and um, Larry's son, Doug's cousin, is here as well. Oh, Doug's mother's there? Yes. Oh, would she like to come to the mic and talk a little bit? You up for it? Yep. She's walking this way. Okay. Here, sit down here. Design a camera. Hi, I'm Julia. Hey, Julia. You hanging in there, Julia? I'm trying. All right. Uh, you have anything you'd like to say, you know, about Doug? Oh, I have so much to say about Doug. <laughs> Doug was. Doug was just the best kid you could ever want and I'm not just saying that because every mother says that he cared about everybody he wanted so badly to finish school he worked full-time and he finished his master's he was so happy and he got together his childhood friends to go celebrate he was so good to everybody he wanted to come home, but he loved where he was working. And he struggled between being home with his family and building a life for himself and Adriana, who he wanted to marry. He wanted to have kids. He bought his first house. He made beautiful. He made a beautiful home for himself and her. And it was all taken from him, one shot, one shot. It took his life and he struggled and he tried so hard to live and they couldn't save him. He's a beautiful person. I got letters from his coworkers, from his friends at 
school, both in Michigan State and the University of Michigan, from friends from this area where he went to high school and, and grammar school, and the letters come in constantly from his professors at school, and it's heartbreaking to read them, but it's, it's so nice to hear these letters and what they thought of him. And everyone has something so positive to say about him and how he helped them. And he's only 25 and he helped so many people with their lives. I, I just, it's, it's just so heartbreaking. I look at his pictures every day and it's just, how can something like this happen to a 25 year old who's just getting his friends together and starting to enjoy his life and so happy to be done with school and put his, his life in his work now full time. There was just so much, so many plans he had for his brother and himself to help his brother with his business and to come back home eventually. And he just had so many plans. He was a planner. He would never shoot off the hip. He always had ideas and, and followed through with them. His goal was to be, to help everyone and to have his family together. And I, I don't know what else to tell you. It, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. And to take a good person like that in this world away from everybody, because he would, would have made a change. He would have helped more than just his family. That's the type of person he was. He would have made a change to make it better for everyone. And, and the person who killed him didn't even kill his target. He just, he, he missed his target and shot 14 other people. I, I don't understand it. Well, why do these people have to go in the middle of people, other people, innocent people, and have a shootout? What kind of cowards do this? You go, you're such a tough guy with a gun. Go meet, meet them in an isolated place and battle it out there. I'm done. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. I want to tell you on behalf of everyone here in Austin, Texas, this is not Austin. This is not who we are. Uh, we are a great town. This is not something that we, you know, we actually, something that actually happens here in Austin. And so, you know, our, our, our condolences uh, go out to you and your family. And please accept our apology for this, this incident. And, and we're, we're going to truly try to make this right and try to get this DA, this district attorney, to do the right thing and prosecute these guys to the full extent of the law. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And, and try to have a, uh, try to, you know, have a wonderful rest of your, your weekend. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. All right. So that's the Doug Cantor's family. Uh, you heard from the mother, you heard from the brother, and you heard from the uncle. And so it's up to us to reach out to the district attorney, the Travis County DA, to get the DA to do what needs to be done in this case. And let's prosecute everyone involved in this case, not just the person that pulled the trigger, that everyone that pulled a gun out should be prosecuted. Minors should not be in possession of firearms. Minors should not have guns in vehicles. Minors should not be in the party district in bars carrying guns. 
That's deadly conduct, and they all should be charged and convicted of full extent of the law. We'll be right back after this. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. The right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're we're talking, man, we have a lot to talk about today. I want to talk about the shooting that happened in downtown Austin. Back in June, um, we had the shooting where basically a young man who was a sergeant in the United States Army was working part-time for a rideshare company, and he was happened to be in Austin, Texas, working for, I want to say it was Uber, and he dropped off a passenger on the 4th Street. When he dropped off that passenger at 4th Street, he proceeded to go to Congress Avenue. As he gets to Congress, he makes a right turn onto Congress. As he makes that right turn, there are a group of protesters in the roadway. And so this, this shooting happened. I want to say this is the one that happened in, in July. And so the protesters are in the roadway. And I want to I want to kind of, you know, kind of picture you, give you this picture. All right. So think of last year, 2020, when the pandemic happened and the country shut down, and you could go from one side of town to the other with zero traffic in the middle of the day. You know, no traffic whatsoever. So this is going to be at nighttime. This is like, you know, at night, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And even less amount of people are actually on the road. So he's working part-time. You know, he's a sergeant in the United States Army during the daytime. He's working part-time, extra money, because it's hard. It's hard being in the military, you know, being able to afford all the things you want under the military pay. So this guy's working part-time to provide for himself. So he drops off the pasture on the 4th Street, goes to Congress, makes that right turn onto Congress. When he makes the right turn onto Congress, there are a group of protesters in the roadway. He, came, he comes to a stop because you can't hit protesters. You have to stop. So he did that. He stopped. Well, when he stopped, someone motioned him to roll the window down. So he rolls that window down, and when he looks, he notices that, look, this is a person standing next to my vehicle with a face mask on. It's late at night with a, in tactical gear with the AK-47, and he, he perceived this person to raise this AK up. When he did, he pulled out his handgun that he carried for personal protection, and he fired shots and stopped that threat. Once he fired those shots, the, the crowd dispersed, and this crowd was actually causing damage to his vehicle. They dispersed once he fired that shot, and then he proceeded down to Congress to 2nd Street. He made a left turn onto 2nd Street in front of the Line Hotel. He dialed 911 and waited for paramedics, uh, waited for police uh, to show up. So the police got there, you know, and they did what they did. And then that's that. So here we are today. Let's speed forward. That was last year. Now the Travis County DA, Jose Garza, has actually uh, sent this case to the grand jury. And I kind of want to bring into the conversation in a, a little bit here. Um, the attorney 
uh, in this case, uh, which is and we're talking about Daniel Perry and the attorney in that case is going to be Clint Broton. And he's going to talk to us about, you know, exactly what's going on with that case. So that I just gave you the rundown of everything and how it happened. You know what happened that night, that day. I gave you the picture of how it is. And then I want you to remember this, you know, because I know, you know, when you're making a right turn uh, and you're, you're coming to an intersection, pitch, you know, just kind of pitch this to yourself. You come into an intersection and you make a right turn. When you make a right turn, what do you do? You know, Zach, what do you do when you make a right turn? You get to a stop sign or red light. What do you think you do? You make it at right. You uh, just look and you look, which way, right. which, which direction are you looking? Look to the left. You're looking to the left, right? You're looking for oncoming traffic. And then you kind of proceed. You, 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 you kind of, you know, hit the gas and start going. And then you turn your head, look in the direction that you're going. That's typically what a lot of people do. And so, and the reason, uh, you know, I know about this is because my biological father was actually killed uh, crossing, walking in a crosswalk by someone who was making a right turn at an intersection because that person was looking to their left, made the right turn, and never saw my father standing in the road. But in this case, this young man, Daniel Perry, never hit anyone. He came to a stop. They surrounded his, ve his vehicle, started pounding on his vehicle, causing damage to his vehicle. Someone motioned him to roll the window down. He rolls the window down and notices there's someone standing there next to his, this vehicle in tactical gear with a face mask on, nighttime with an AK-47. Picture that. You're in your vehicle where you have a right to be, and you're driving along, and someone's in an AK-47 in a face mask and tactical gear. That's a threat if I've ever seen one. Are we trying to normalize something in this town? Well, we're going to bring into the conversation the attorney for Daniel Perry. Um, hey, Clint, welcome to Come and Talk, sir. Hey, how are you? Outstanding, sir. Uh, so kind of tell us what's going on. Well, the grand jury has returned an indictment. Uh, Mr. Perry turned himself in and posted the bond and has been released on bond. Uh, we're starting to get some discovery from the DA's office, and we're, we're going to that. Um, I have some questions about how this case was presented to the grand jury. We're pursuing that. Um, you know, uh, Sergeant Perry's trying to raise some, some funds for legal expenses, and, you know, everything's happening at once. Uh, we're busy. Right. And so and, and you've, you've, you've sent in a motion, request for evidentiary hearing in support of a motion to dismiss, dismiss indictment based upon prosecutorial misconduct. What is all that about? Well, it's come to our attention that the uh, detective, the investigating officer in this case, uh, had prepared slide presentations, had prepared to uh, offer all the exculpatory evidence uh, that would normally lead a grand jury to return a no bill. And he was directed and ultimately the order came from on high. In other words, uh, the elected district attorney, Jose Garza, was instructed not to uh, tell the grand jury about any of the exculpatory evidence uh, in favor of Ms. Sergeant Perry's position. And in fact, it seems like a lot of the evidence presented uh, was probably gathered or at least uh, was there was some talk that it was gathered by the attorney for the Foster family. Mm. Mm. OK. And so you, we're saying that, you know, the majority of that that evidence was not presented to the grand jury at all. You're saying like a, a very small percentage, like what, eight percent? was actually presented to the grand jury? Well, well, there, there, there are two different issues. One is a defense packet that I prepared, um, which outlined uh, Sergeant Perry's position from our perspective. Um, and normally, you know, you're not, 
you don't have a right to present a defense packet to a grand jury in the state of Texas. However, I've been doing this close to 30 years now. I've never had a DA refuse that. Um, in this case, uh, the DA uh, did essentially tell me he wasn't going to allow us to present a packet. I asked him to reconsider, and ultimately they allowed us to present about 8% of it. Uh, then Jose Garza uh, had a press conference where he said uh, that we were allowed to present the overwhelming majority of the letter. So unless 8% means the overwhelming majority, um, he and I speak a different language. But that's one aspect. The other aspect was the testimony from the lead investigator, who always, almost always normally testify in front of a grand jury in a criminal case. And he was specifically instructed by Garza not to mention the exculpatory evidence that, that his investigation found. Right. And so you're asking you're asking for this case to be dropped because of how the DA is handling the case. Well, I, I, you, we're going to take it a step at a time. I think at this point there needs to be an evidentiary hearing. I think uh, the detective can testify as to what he was instructed to do by Garza and uh, at Garza's direction. And then Jose Garza can offer some explanation as to why he didn't want the exculpatory evidence presented to the grand jury. Right. And you talk and I mean, also you're saying that the witnesses that you know, he's using the information that that I guess he should have provided was that those witnesses actually couldn't see actually what happened. Some of them, yes, that the detective, my understanding is, could have provided information that would indicate that some of the witnesses uh, that were testifying that they did not believe uh, Foster raised the gun. In fact, we're not in a position to see whether or not he raised his assault rifle. Right. And then I'm, I'm just curious, you know, why hasn't the the young man in the crowd who was the medic uh, that fired a shot at your client's vehicle, uh, why hasn't that person been charged with deadly conduct? Well, that's an excellent question, Michael, because if you compare and contrast the two, you know, there's all these allegations out here that Foster, uh, that uh, Sergeant Perry, you know, wanted a confrontation and, and what have you, yet nobody was hit by the car. Nobody was hit by Sergeant Perry's gun other than the masked boogaloo boy who was carrying the AK-47. Uh, meanwhile, this other person who shot at uh, Sergeant Perry just shot wildly into the crowd without any firearms training whatsoever. Um, so there does seem to be some some dichotomies here. Is, is there any um, any police reports about the shell casings from that other firearm at all? They, yes, there are. I've not really studied them, but uh, the police certainly know who fired that weapon. Right. All right, because yeah, because that person actually gave, I guess, gave a statement to the police that night, and they were let go as well, as well as everyone is in, in, that was involved that night. But as I look at Correct. that, you know, my understanding is there is no plans on prosecuting that person. And that's kind of strange to me because you know he fired shots, you know, at a vehicle, which you you cannot do that in Texas. You can, if you perceive someone with, to be a with, threat, with people all people all around the vehicle. Yes. Yeah, you you just can't do that. You know. Um, I can name a lot of cases that have actually happened in Travis County where someone fired a gun at a vehicle and they were charged with deadly conduct. So this is a clear case here of me, you know, looking at this as deadly conduct uh, when, you know, the only person that, you know, I, I, the way I look at this, you know, I'm, I'm driving at nighttime where I have a right to be. Um, I'm working part time for a company and I, I have a right to be in the roadway. All of a sudden I come across a group of people in the roadway and someone standing next to my vehicle uh, with an AK-47 with a face mask on at nighttime pointing a gun at me, then, oh, my goodness, you know, I would perceive that person to be a threat as well. Any reasonable person would do that. Well, several other people or dozens of people are hitting your car with bricks and pounding on the hood and what have you. I fully agree. All right. 
And so, uh, what do you where do you think this is going to go from here? Well, you know, ultimately, I think if this has to go to trial, Sergeant Perry will be acquitted. To me, it seems a clear case of self-defense. It's going to be, of course, a waste of taxpayer money for the taxpayers of Travis County, and it's devastating to Sergeant Perry. Um, and I ultimately don't think it'll bring the Foster family any closure. Um, so that that's one thing. Um, the question is, you know, whether anything happens before then. And as I said, I think we need to explore the way Garza sort of marionetted the uh, grand jury in this case to reach a result that uh, was politically advantageous to him. Now, do you think the the DA is trying to do, get some double standards, or double jeopardy in this case, and and get some something pushed on your client as far as the military is concerned? I I. I don't really know. Um, I, I think the military is, is smarter than that. Um, so I not I don't have great fear that's going to happen. On the other hand, they are trying to ask the judge to impose conditions where Sergeant Perry cannot be uh, cannot be around or in a workplace with a firearm uh, during the pendency of the case. And it's kind of hard to be on an army base and not uh, be be around firearms. Mm, yeah. So. You know, it, it very well may end a very promising uh, what was going to be a career for Sergeant Perry. He's served this country for nine years, including a tour of Af Afghanistan. Um, and it really is kind of sad. Right. And can you just for everyone kind of lay out what actually happened that night? Because I gave them a rundown of what happened, but I'd like them to hear it from you. Well, I mean, your your, your rundown was pretty accurate. Uh, Sergeant Perry had been driving for Uber um He'd driven in the past and was driving that day, and, and Uber records and his bank records confirmed that. And the reason he was driving in Austin is that was the most profitable area um, within the uh, mile restriction. He was able to go from the uh, base in Killeen. Um, and so he had been driving all day, had dropped off a passenger, was texting uh, at some point and uh, made that right turn. I believe it was on to Congress. Um, his car was surrounded. He, he stopped the car because he couldn't go any further, and his intent was not to injure anybody, otherwise he would have kept driving the car. Um, and then my understanding is, you know, after people started banging on his car, uh, Foster approached with the, with the AK-47 and kind of motioned to him uh, to roll down the window. And at first, my understanding is Sergeant Perry thought he might be law enforcement. And then I, I don't know what clicked in, in Sergeant Perry's mind to realize he wasn't as the, as the window was coming down. And at that point, he sees and other witnesses saw the AK-47 uh, start to rise. And that's when Sergeant Perry's training kicked in and he used his own personal firearm uh, to fire center mass and only injure Garrett Foster because that was the only threat to him. None of the other protesters, although they were engaging in unruly behavior, were not deadly threats to him. And so the only person that, that was fired upon was uh, Mr. Foster. Right. And the way, you know, the way the Texas Penal Code says it, basically, you know, you're in your vehicle, you're driving around, we have a, a Texas Castle Doctrine. So if you think someone, you know, is attempting to kill you, uh, they're attempting to enter or remove you from your vehicle. You're justified using force, the daily force, to stop them. So in this case, you know, he... I, there there couldn't be any. No, there 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 is no question of that. And as soon as, uh, as you pointed out, somebody started firing on Sergeant Perry at that point, and he drove off to safety. And immediately, when he got to the uh, safe spot, called police and has been cooperative with the police since day one. And he, you know, he certainly regrets the actions he had to take. Um, but you know, at that point. It appeared to be either his life or, or Mr. Foster's life.
And then just like a, you know, a person who defended himself, he went down to safety, just like you just said, called 911, waited for police to come, and, and then you know, stayed there and, until the police were actually finished with him. And, that, and that's ultimately why the narrative uh, that uh, Foster's friends and family are putting forth does not make any sense, because if the intent of Sergeant Perry was to break up this protest, to injure people, what have you, he could have easily run people over. He could have easily shot wildly into the crowd. He could have tried to take off and, and not cooperate with police after firing in the crowd. I mean, every action Sergeant Perry took that day was indicative of somebody who found himself in the midst of a what was allegedly a peaceful protest, um, not knowing, and then approached by a, a boogaloo boy uh, in a mask carrying an assault rifle and a one-armed sling with, with, and appearing to begin to raise that assault rifle. All right, we're talking with Clint Broden. He's the attorney uh, for Sergeant Perry. We're talking about the shooting that happened last year. Uh, we're talking about the Travis County DA. We're talking about all day today. We're talking about Travis County DA, Jose Garza, and how he's handling these two different cases that we've been talking about. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're back, and we're getting ready to talk to Devin Perkins. He's the host of Trench Work Chronicles, and he works with Black Guns Matter, Maj Teray. And they're doing a, a summit in Miami. Zach, they're doing a summit. We got to go to Miami. It's the, the Solutionary Summit in Miami, Florida. Man, what happens in Miami stays in Miami, Zach. We got to go September the 3rd to the 4th. Let's bring in the, to this conversation, Devin. Devin, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Can you still see me and hear me? Well, yes, I hear you. Sure. Oh, yeah, you're great. I hear you loud and clear. Cool. Uh, one, first of all, thank you for having me on your platform. Um, I love being able to chop it up with like-minded people. But, yeah, um, Solutionary Summit 2021. Um, this is one of my, honestly, one of the things I'm most proud of that I uh, I've been a part of putting together. Um, we as a team, Black Guns Matter, we've witnessed because we dabble in both the political realm, the Second Amendment realm. Sometimes they have some crossover. Right. But what we've noticed is that regardless of which field you're in or industry you're in, the the events and the um, the events and the conventions, they're just kind of like pep rallies mm. they're not really discussing solutions they're not empowering anybody they're not bringing up the next generation to continue whatever movement they're trying to pre uh preserve so after years of going to them speaking at them doing everything with them we decided hey i think it's time for us to just do it by ourselves because you know and no boasting about it but we could probably do it better than they're doing it because there was a reason why they were inviting us to them so maybe it's now that it's time for us to take the power that we wield and actually 
start to cultivate the next generation that support our platform. So the Solutionary Summit is a mix of conversations, Q&As. We have panelists that range from, well, this is the one part. We, we have essentially the same format, but the best part about what we do is that everything is interactive. So every presentation or every panel that goes on, we specifically carve out time for Q&A. That way, if anybody in the crowd wants to question, challenge, or push back on anything, they have the opportunity to do that. We are 100% about free speech, uh, raw, uncut dialogue, and more than anything, solutions. That's what we want more than anything is solutions to preserve what we think um, this country should look like. Right. I, li- I like that, you know, because I, I've been doing this for like 20 years. And the best way that I can get people to do what I do is I go out, I've gone out to the different universities, I've gone out to high schools, I've even gone to middle schools and talked to people about gun laws, gun history, and and I, I try to encourage them to get involved and, you know, to be an instructor. You know, I said, hey, you know, and I, the way I present it to people, I say, hey, you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You know, I make it easy. This right. is not what I've always done. People ask me, well, Michael, you were in the Army and in the military, you know, that's why you got into firearms. Well, what they don't know, I, yes, I was in the United States Army. I was in the United States Army band. I was a musician. I played tuba, trumpet, and trombone. And if I can teach people, wow. you know, firearms, anybody can teach people firearms, you know, and, right. so, and, and, and learn history and learn the laws and all that good kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I kind of, I like that, you know, come together and, 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 you know, and, and be an example and then tell and help people and say, Hey, you know, this is what you should do in your area, your town. I want you guys to come to ATX. You talk, you tell me you're traveling to ATL, Austin, um, Atlanta for classes. What's up with Austin? Come to Austin. You come to Austin. Um, Actually, Maj is in Dallas right now at CPAC. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I want you to come to Austin. Um, hey, we, we can do it. All we have to do is, <laughs> I don't even, like, the amount of people that we know in Austin, I don't think that would be a problem at all. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Literally, we can do that. That's not a problem at all. Yeah, I'd love to see you I come down. Texas. Yeah, because I don't think I've met you in person. Definitely want to see you come down and, and talk to people down here in Austin because we're Austin's where it is. You know, it really is. It's, That's it, what I hear. That's what I hear. Austin's the real liberal, uh, liberal part of Texas. And, you know, this is one part where I'll probably get pushback, but, like, I don't necessarily subscribe to Republican or Democrat. I just want what the truth is. And what I've noticed is that the one thing that liberals do get correct is that they have empathy for lower class people. That's something that Republicans do not have. I don't care what anybody says. They don't have it, especially on the PR front page. They just don't have it. So we bring Democrats. We bring we bring anybody into the arena that wants to have the conversation and yeah, Austin, it's funny because coming from being a black conservative, right? I kind of feel like I'm a Republican candidate in California to where I know the issues and I'm very, very intertwined with the people, but I also know what's actually going to get these people out of the situations or living that they're in. Right. The thing that, Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, whatever you want to identify as has to start getting right is to start with empathy and lead with the facts, but allow that person 
to understand what you're saying before you jump down their throats telling them that they're telling them that they're on a plantation or that they're stupid because they voted for somebody one way or the other. Right. You know what I mean? Like hold people accountable, but you don't have to uh, demean somebody to get your point across. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of the times, if you're running into those people that are really headstrong and really don't want to listen to what you say, when this is one of the things that Maj has definitely taught me, use those people as a conductor for information to the rest of the people around you that are watching what's going on right now. So even if that person is stuck in their beliefs, there's somebody else watching how this conversation is going to play out. And you have that opportunity to open their minds as well. Right. Oh man, I love that. that Sorry about the rant. No, no, that's right. <laughs> you're you're spot on, man. That is absolutely correct. And 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 Devin, you know, um, so you guys are doing the Solutionary Summit in Miami on September the third to the fourth, and you're gonna or the fifth if you buy the thousand dollar tickets. Okay. And, and how's that? Yeah. What, what people are who, who's going to be there in Miami? Who we got a lot of we got a lot of powerhouses. Um, I can just run down the list. We got. For community outreach, we have youth and community outreach. We have King Randall, Olivia Rondo. Uh, those are two of my favorite people, by the way. Uh, Kim Klasik and Pastor Daryl Scott. Okay. And then, you know. And I'm hosting that panel. Nice. And I want to ask so you. I get to question. So, De so, Devin, what do you say to people that say, hold on, blacks and guns, you know, you know. Coming from the even when you ask people in the black community about firearms or guns and, and they'll tell you guns are bad. You know, no, we we don't you know, we don't deal with guns in the black community as you know, as African-Americans. What do you say about that or black Americans or whatever, however you want to label it? They're lying to themselves. <laughs> we love guns in the black community. We just don't have the proper education or really knowledge and guidance to make sure that we're doing it correctly uh mo one of the main reasons black guns matter started and this is from maj is that he noticed that a lot of black people were getting arrested not for carrying out violent crimes but for just possessing the gun the wrong way not having a correct license or being in a place that doesn't allow guns something like that or getting a gun that's illegal you know but the person was never actually caught in the action of doing something wrong with it it was just a matter of le legality right so one thing that we sought out to do is to go to these ignored areas who, we have to be honest, the big name gun organizations do not care. Whether, n name any of the big three, the big, the ones with all the acronyms, they do not care. FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, I'll give them a shout out. They support Black Guns Matter. I mean, nothing hold back. So FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, everybody else, they don't care. It's just like, it's just like Democrats with black people every four years. <laughs> they only want the support when it benefits them. So if Shannon Watts and uh, Moms the Band Action is running amok, they'll try to find a black woman to combat them, but that's it. Right. That black woman doesn't get any support for outreach. She's probably not going to get a platform that somebody else has. It's, it's, it is what it is. They only want you for promotional or to get that return on investment and to make them look and appear like they're not, uh, I don't even want to say racist because I don't think they're racist. I just think they're stupid sometimes. Like yeah. they don't, they really don't understand the PR and the culture of America. So that's really what it is specifically about black people and guns though. The reason why I got into guns is because I'm a history buff. And if you know anything about history, deacons of defense, um, Malcolm X, 
I mean, you can go down the list of freedom fighters who had to utilize firearms to ensure their freedom from whatever, whether it was the state, KKK, anybody. But when you start talking about that stuff, are we talking about critical race theory, though? When you start mentioning that stuff? Um, I mean, (laughs) critical race theory. I'm I'm being funny, by the way. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) No, it's that simple. No, like this is the problem with Republicans and I, I understand why they're using, quote unquote, critical race theory as the boogeyman in the room now. It's, it's the same thing. They never really want to acknowledge their actual faults in history. Like, we have to acknowledge Hoover to Reagan were Republican presidents that really started and kicked off the war on drugs, which was a dog whistle for gun control. We saw what Reagan did with the Mulford Act. We saw what Reagan did... Um, we, he did the Mulford Act. He canceled Friday night specials. And then, yeah, started the war on drugs, which essentially was allowing people um, stop and frisk. That started back then, too. These, to me, were all dog whistles to make the black man and the conservative black man uh, weak. It's just, I, you can't get around that. If you look up Hoover's, Hoover's FBI history with Malcolm X and the civil rights movement, like, Tell me where I'm wrong, where he was literally basically promoting the idea to get Malcolm X up out of here. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Acknowledge the history, say that this was wrong, and move forward. That's all that has to be done. I say this on Twitter all the time. If Republicans want to win, all they have to do is kill their pride, acknowledge their history, and allow black people to save America like we always do. All right, we're talking with Devin Perkins. He's the host of Trenchwork Chronicles and works with Black Guns Matter with Maj Teray. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hey, this is AWR Hawkins, Bright Park News, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Thirteen seventy, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with Devin Perkins. He's talk- he's the host of Trench Work Chronicles and works with Black Guns Matter, Maj Ray. We're talking about the Solutionary Summit in Miami, Florida, September third, fourth, and maybe the fifth. Gonna have Black Guns Matter, Trench Work Chronicles is gonna be there. The podcast, also Firearms Training is gonna take place. And oh, we oh, got it all. <laughs> everything, everything. Every we got firearm, we got firearms. We're starting with that. Then we got guns and mental health. We got health in the black community. We got economics, crypto, and investing. Uh, when I say we got it covered, we got it covered. Like we really want solutions to come out of our events. We don't want. We don't want the social media hype. We want people to change the culture. This this uh, and earlier this not week, not be afraid of having dialogue. Earlier this week, I attended a, a little event here in Austin, Texas, and in, in the black community, and they were talking about black on black crime, and what are some of the solutions for black it's on black crime. So, what do you what do you say to that? Black on black crime is a myth. Why do you say that? Everybody knows <laughs> people who murders happen within. Uh, People all people get murdered by the same ethnicity that they normally are for the most part. And I said that completely wrong. But basically, whoever you live around is normally who's going to kill you. You know what I mean? So 
that whole black on black crime thing, that was to me, I look at that as the same time that Hillary Clinton was running around calling people super predators. And if you really want to address quote unquote black on black crime, let's talk about what the actual issue is. We already know poverty breeds violence. You know what I mean? So if wolves got to eat, wolves are going to eat. How about we offer them some some tangible solutions that will sustain a lifestyle the way that they don't have to be in the survival mode mentality? Um, my other brainchild is a program that I'm starting called Kids to Kings, and it's focused around the study of complex trauma um, and CPTSD with the black community and how that's affecting our youth. One thing that I'm learning is that we are literally just, I mean, swamped with generational curses and mental issues in the black community. So what we really need to do is people need to start going to therapy. Um, and as bad as it sounds, a lot of people are going to have to get out here and be fathers to people that aren't their kids, if that makes sense. Personally, I've had that happen for me. Um, by the grace of God, I've had all of my OGs are, in my opinion, 10 times the man that my, the dad that I never had could have been. I mean, all from Maj, um, Kevin Dixie of No Other Choice Firearms Training, Ken Scott from Prevectus Group, um, Ken Blanchard, who's like the originator of black gun activism for this generation. Like, my influences have definitely cultivated my mind to want to help create more people like me. And the best thing that we can do instead of focusing on old people who are already set in their ways is help change the next generation. So that's really what my platform is about is changing the next generation, helping the youth and promoting voices that need to be heard more. Um, King Randall, that dude is so inspiring to me. If you don't know who he is, look up King Randall. He's 21 years old. I believe he's out of Albany, Georgia. And he's he literally created a school for young black kids at the age of 21 while having his own kid. So it's like, yeah, th this is what we're what we need. You know what I mean? We need these solutions. We need the next generation to understand. And to be honest, like if we look across the aisle at liberals and leftists, that's all they're doing. What is the biggest issue with, quote unquote, critical race theory that it's in the schools? What is it with gun control? March for Our Lives was out here. Like, when are we going to understand on our side that the next generation is way more important than the old white dollars that are still filling your pockets? You have to at some point invest in the next generation or it's done. It's that simple. And then, you know, I lived a life underground. I'm cool with going back, but a lot of people aren't cool with violence. You know what I mean? So <laughs> either you, you do it right or that's what it's leading to. Nice. Now, is uh, you name some of the people that are going to be there. Uh, is Candace going to be there? Like Candace Owen, you know, is a new no. no, no, Mr. No. Blanchard, you know, <laughs> the one that you mentioned. Earlier. Oh, um, I can know. I wish I wish, but he's dealing with some home stuff that he's not going to be able to get away from. Right. But that is the OG. He will be there because all of his quote unquote two A kids will be there. So he's there regardless. Um, But nah, we don't really bang with the um <laughs> the MAGA like conservative ink types. I call them the talking point conservatives. The same people that'll run around talking about okay. black people need to get off a plantation, that they need to start voting for Republicans. 
again, sitting in these events, I'm like, okay, you're telling me this, but what are you offering me that's better than that side? Because this sounds like just another form of tribalism. Mm. It just sounds like you're telling me green is grass on this side, and it's not. You know what I'm saying? Like, what solutions are Republicans actually presenting to black people? To me, that, what, what was it, the... uh the platinum plan for like black America. First of all, why are you naming something for black people platinum? That's insulting off break, in my opinion. Two, when you read it, it's a bunch of minority this, minority that, incentives to do this, initiatives to do that. I need concrete facts, numbers, and what we're going to actually do. What money is this administration going to set aside to help the youth in black America? Period. That's what I want to know. If that's not the case, I don't really know what kind of conversation we can have about this quote unquote platinum plan for black people. But um no, we don't really do the uh Brandon Tatum's, the Candace Owens's, um, the Bryson Gray's, like, nah. I'm not I'm not dealing with anybody who just wants to insult the people that they're claiming that they want to represent. Mm. I've never seen, I've never seen any of them miss an opportunity to talk down about black people, mm. specifically Brandon Tatum. He is probably the worst one, mm. but I'm not going to go off on a rant on your show about right. that. But nah, they won't be there. And, and, <laughs> they can buy a ticket and show up. They're not banned or anything, but they're not going to be on the stage. Right. And, you, and you're absolutely right. You know, you need to bring and, and Thomas Harrison said this, you know, the first solution is to get the father figure back into the house. I think that's going to be Bingo. the key, you know, to fixing a lot of the problems in the black community, because they're, you know, talking about black on black crime. You say you don't you don't you think that's a myth, uh, but, you know, it's it's an issue. So. You know, um, that's that's the key right there. Bring the father figure back. You know, let's uh, try to promote promote family, uh, you know, promote, you know, some stability in the household uh, and, you know, try to, you know, get the father. The father has a job. You know, everyone has a job in in the family and has a there's a stable household there and that we can solve a lot of our problems right now. I I think a lot of people are are suffering. Doesn't you know, doesn't really matter if you're you're white, you're black or whatever. Everyone's going through the same thing right now. doesn't matter your color because here we are 2020. We just came out of the pandemic and a lot of people are having a hard Lockdowns. time. Right. Just <laughs> came out of the lockdown. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> we have a lot of people that are, you know, having problems with either work or getting, you know, or, you know, finding the job they want because jobs are out there. Maybe, you know, find the particular job they want or whatever, get back on their feet and get them back to normal. Uh, but there's a lot of jobs out there and I encourage people to go out there and just go out there and apply. Because jobs are here. What do you say that to that? Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Like, and beggars can't be choosers. And when you start choosing, you get the chance to choose more. It's that simple. Like, and this is the best time right <laughs> now to go out and get the job that you want because they are there. Yeah, it really or or create the job that you want. Yes. Like, I in the middle of these lockdowns, me and my cousin started a trucking company, and we didn't miss a day of work when it like locked down, locked down. And I'm 30 minutes from D.C., which was considered a hot spot. Yeah, like, yeah, it now more than ever is the time to grind, especially if you're into investing. And from my little, little knowledge, now is definitely the time to start investing because honestly, I don't know. That's just what all my smarter friends tell me. And Devin- um, I definitely bought into Bitcoin. Um, If you're into Bitcoin, I've been following that. Jump into that. Um, Yeah. But and these are things that like like you said, it goes back to not having that father figure in the house. When I was a teenager selling drugs, if somebody would have told me, yo, you know, you can set up a block 
with a vending machine and not worry about police getting robbed or anything illegal like that. Please believe I would have took my money, threw it in a vending machine, and never looked back. I probably would have had a vending machine business right now. And Devin, but one more time, tell us, never, tell us about the Solutionary Summit and where it's going to be and the date one more time. Oh, my bad. Uh, Solutionary Summit, Miami, Florida. It's at the, I think I'm saying this right, the Bicene Marriott in, in Miami. It's the 3rd through the 5th. Um, yeah, get your tickets at Solutionary Summit, uh, SolutionaryLifestyle.org. Solutionary That's the website where you can get say all one more time. information, all the tickets. Say it one more time. SolutionarySummit.org. Okay, awesome. All right, man, uh, Devin, Devin Perkins, the host of Trench Work Chronicles. Thank you for coming on and, and telling us about it. Uh, maybe we'll be down there. I hope. I don't know. Maybe we get an invitation to be on a panel. Not sure, uh, but we'll find out. Might, I might try to get down there and see what's going on because I love to learn. I love to listen and appreciate you coming on. This we, is Michael Cargill, and you have been listening to Come and Talk It. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.